refers to the means of interactions among people in which they create, share, and or exchange information and ideas in virtual communities and networks. This involves Facebook, Instagram, Be Real, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook Messenger, LinkedIn, Snapchat. I think there's even some more. Um, now, the global number of social media users currently stands at 4.76 billion. So can anyone shout out a guess as to how long they think the average person spends just on social media, not anything else, just on social media daily? Anyone shout out a guess? Four hours, two hours, two hours. Okay. Four hours, okay. Actually, you're quite high. So that doesn't mean it's any better, but it's two and a quarter hours more. Yeah, just over. Um, and that's just time spent on social media. That's not phone calls, camera, anything else, games that we do on our phones. So as of 2000, um, sorry, so I do use social media. Um, I don't post an awful lot, but I do spend a lot of time scrolling and keeping up with my friends slash stalking. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, and I, I have actually given it up at the moment for, for Lent. Um, but previous to that, I'd spend hours going through little like rabbit runs, clicking on things, seeing adverts of things that I now definitely needed in my life, which prior to that click, I didn't even know existed. Matt loves that. Um, now, does anyone here know their average time on social media? You don't have to tell me. I suspect we probably have a full range here from no time at all to a number of hours a day. Now, whatever your current usage of social media, it's a huge part of our world, and it's only becoming more and more so. Even if you don't use social media at all, I'm sure your children do, or your friends might, and your church definitely does. So it's definitely something for us all to work out how we can best engage with social media for the glory of God. Okay, so let's move on to our Bible passage for today. Now, unsurprisingly, the Bible doesn't mention a lot about social media. <laughs> but there is a lot we can learn from social media, from the Bible, about how to address it. So the main Bible passage I'm looking at today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 to 33. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but for the good of many, so that they may be saved. So a bit of context from this verse from 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul was writing to a church in Corinth that he actually, in fact, started as a missionary. And he'd gone off planting other churches, um, and then he began getting reports that this church in Corinth that he'd started really wasn't doing very well. Um, they'd been coming across huge issues over sex, food divisions, um, and this is why he wrote 1 Corinthians. And if you read 1 Corinthians, Paul basically starts off by describing the problem that they're having and then always responds to that problem with some part of the story of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. So this letter is all about learning to think about every area of our lives through the lens of the gospel. Now, I believe that if Paul was around today, social media would be on his list of things to address, and we can apply this verse 
to social media too as an area of our lives. Now in this exact verse, you're probably thinking, why is she talking about food and drink? Um, but in this particular verse, he's addressing a debate that the people of Corinth was having about whether they should or they shouldn't eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, an idol is something um, that uh, the worship of something or someone as if they were God. And what does he say? He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God, even as I try and please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but for the good of many, so that they may be saved. Now, what this passage shows is that merely asking, is this lawful or is this allowed, is the wrong question for Christians. Instead, we must continue to ask, will this glorify God? Will this build up my neighbours and those around me? So Paul says to them, yes, you should refuse to eat meat. If, you've known it, if you know it has been offered to idols. The reason is to prevent anyone from thinking that Christians approve of idol worship in any way, because they don't. They are free, however, to eat meat that they, know, that they don't know to have been offered to an idol with a clear conscience and with thanks to God. Now, the key message of this passage is that it's our intent and the effects of our actions on others, which is more important than the physical thing involved. Now, if we apply this to social media, it can read, so whether you post or you tweet, you share or you unfollow, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether friend or someone that follows you, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many that they may be saved. So this is how we're going to look at social media today. So the question then isn't, should we or shouldn't we use social media, which I think a lot of Christians get caught up in. Um, it's more of, will our use of it glorify God? And will it be used for the good of you and others around you so that they may see God's love for them through you and be saved? So let's look at three practical ways that we can do social media differently to help us through this. So my first practical point is think about what you post. Now the passage talks about not seeking my own good, but for the good of many that they may be saved. Now what we post on Facebook or Instagram builds a profile of ourselves. In a virtual world where our friends aren't necessarily the people that know us very well at all, we should be aware that what we are posting or following or liking on Facebook or Instagram or any other platform paint some kind of image about what we believe and our preferences and our values. And people can't necessarily, unless you're on WhatsApp and you like a voice note like me, <laughs> hear the tone of your voice. And they may not know your personality to fully know that that wasn't what you meant. Now, even me just saying this might cause a few of you to spike up a bit. Like what you do on social media is your business. And if they've misinterpreted that, that's their problem. But that is not what Paul is saying. He is saying we are not to do it for our own good. Or because we want to. Oh, I've lost my place, sorry. Uh, or because it makes us look cool or furthers our image as a good mum or a successful businessman or someone that's really funny. He says do it for the good of others. So what does that mean? For the good of others. Well, with this in mind, I think there's uh, two questions that it's really good for us to ask ourselves before we post. Uh, 
One, is it loving? Could I offend or hurt or negatively impact anyone through what I'm saying or posting? Two, does it further or hinder the gospel? Just like eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols could give others the idea that Christians can worship idols, does what you're posting relay an image that Christians can do X and it's fine? Now replace X with whatever you want. Uh, swear, repost pages that aren't glorifying to God, get crazy drunk. And hear me now, I am not saying that Christians uh, can't fall short and that we must present this image of a perfect, holy life that, let's face it, none of us lead. However, we have a choice of whether we post that stuff and glorify that stuff or whether we post stuff that glorifies him. And now this doesn't mean that every Bible verse needs to, every post needs to be a Bible verse and super holy. In fact, that can even come across as a bit of a humble brag, can't it? Like if you've, especially when you're posting a picture of like a perfectly positioned Bible with a perfectly froth coffee and like hashtagging time with God. Um, no, not every post needs to be a Bible verse. Okay, we've all seen them, haven't we? Yeah, we've all seen them. Not every post needs to be a Bible verse or even mentioning God. But we are called to be set apart. And our online presence should reflect something of that. 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your heart, revere, which means worship and adore, Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give them the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. And I love this verse because it's not saying ram Christianity down every feed, on every post, have the cross and prayer emoji on everything. But it is saying be set apart, be different. And it's assuming that people will then ask you why you are different and always be prepared to give them an answer for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to tell them why, not by ramming it but with gentleness and respect. So my second point is just as we are to think about what we post, we must also think about what you like and what you follow. Um, <clears throat> the pages and the people we follow um, on social networking sites reveal our attitude and our conviction to those around us. <laughs> you like my picture? Um, to like a status or post on a particular subject can be perceived as showing your support or agreeance. Um, and to follow someone should be something we really consider. Um, would you follow them in the non-virtual world? It's just a question to consider. Okay, my final practical point is use your online voice to encourage and sustain. If, as Paul says, we are to do what we do out of love for others, then I believe we are to use our voice, our online voice, to encourage and sustain. So Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. The message version of this same verse reads, The master God has given me a well-taught tongue so I know how to encourage tired people. <clears throat> now Ray Ortland says everyone is weary. Everyone is tired. We live in a society of intense pressure. We don't need more. What we need is to be helped 
uh, with a sustaining word. And it doesn't have to be much. And I can't ask anyone for their attention for very long. So whether it's a blog post or whatever it might be, I want to sustain them with one brief word, the one who is weary. So I don't want to be the online watchdog of the Christian church and the corrector of everything that is wrong. I want to be an encourager. Because that is what the Lord is, isn't it? And we are called to be like him. Now, social media, I don't know what your feeds are like, but it can be the sites, uh, the site for complaints. And the alleyway behind our house is daily peppered with poos. Um, dog poo, dog poo, um, to be clear. Um, and I have to resist the temptation to get on our village Facebook page and be like, ah, clean up your poo. Um, but anyone can complain. Anyone can moan. Um, but in Philippians 2, verse 14, we are called to do everything without complaining or moaning or arguing it. And in the book of John, verse, uh, chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, we are called to show God's love to all in this world as he loved us. And I know the poo analogy isn't a great one, but if we hold back from moaning and keep positive and loving, people will notice. They will notice your outlook and they will see the effects of God's grace in your life. Because I may not drop poo, I don't have a dog, <laughs> But I do do other things that definitely people could moan about. So who are we to grumble? We need to encourage and sustain. When I sit with Jesus on those days when I feel tired and weary, he sustains me. He encourages me. He lifts my head. And if we are to be his hands and feet on earth, then we are called to, to be that to other people, believer or non-believer. Ray Ortland puts it better. He says, I believe encouragement is one of the most important ministries of the Christian church, and that is what social media is for. So that's three practical takeaways. Think about what you post. Think about who you like slash follow. And be a voice that encourages and sustains. Social media does have the power to be a really fantastic tool that can do so much good. It can uplift, it can connect, it can encourage, and it has a wider reach than any of us do socially as individuals, and therefore has the power to reach so many for Jesus. However, there is a big health warning that comes with social media. We need to be careful and mindful of our own hearts as we use social media. If we are going to use it to glorify God, then we need to safeguard our own hearts against the things that might cause us to dishonor him, ourselves, or others. So thinking about social media, and I couldn't talk about it without um, mentioning these things, uh, there are two big red flags that come into mind. Comparison and distraction. And I'm going to talk for a few minutes on each. So comparison. Now comparison has always happened. It's not a new thing specific to social media. Popularity contests have always been a thing. But the difference is that they were always reserved for mainly school hours, 9 to 3, or work hours, 9 to 5, minus the holidays. And in the glorious olden days, the home or the holidays were a break from that comparison game, especially for our young people. But not anymore. Tony Reich, in his article on the war of social media, writes... Now, young people carry in their pocket 
a 24-7, 365-day popularity contest and comparative culture with their peers, even on their family holiday. A picture is seen out with a load of mates and then it's a race to try and show something that you're doing in a better light. You may not realise it, but you've been sucked into that comparison culture. How do you fare? And it's not just young people. You might be a LinkedIn user and you might compare how far you've come in your career to someone you went to school with. Or you might be just be engaged or just married and you find yourself doting on pictures of other newlyweds and you might be making comparisons between their honeymoon, their relationship, their date nights. You might be a parent and comparing yourself with another mum on social media um, who always posts sickening pictures of her lovely children smiling. Or you may be filled with envy when you see yet another fancy holiday um, that some other family get to go on or some other couple and you can't afford it. However you find yourself comparing, you either come off better or worse. Social media is our 24-7, 365 day, always open, comparison tool on heat and comparison is something God does warn about. Comparison either creates pride the feeling where we compare and we come off better, or envy, the feeling where we come off worse and we want what the other person has. Pride causes us to measure our lives by the standard of our own accomplishments rather than our God-given identity. And the Bible was clear. It tells us that it's only by the grace of God that we even have the breath in our lungs, never mind everything else. And as for envy... Envy crushes our joy and squeezes the life out of our souls under the weight of comparison. Envy tells us the lie that what we already have is not enough, that we are somehow hard done to, and it distracts us from the lavish blessings that God has already given us and we should be thankful for. So how can we protect our hearts from comparison? Well, the practical application here is to look at your Facebook and Instagram feed. Look at them. Um, all, all the profiles that you, you stalk on LinkedIn, are they helpful? Do they help you look to Jesus? Luke 11, verses 33 to 36 says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Is what you're looking at good and full of light? In other words, does what you're looking at make you feel thankful and content of all you're having or wanting for more? How does that make you feel? Does it make you think about yourself and your life? Or do they encourage you to think about others and be outward looking as our verse from Corinthians encourages us to do so? And if not, in the nicest way, have a clear out. Get rid of it. Follow, do not follow such things, people, profiles or pages. Stop consuming it. Because if you don't, it may consume you. Now, my second big red flag is... Um, so when I was writing this, I was saying to Libby, I think this is actually what God was really speaking to us about, this next point about distraction. It's been on my... It just has weighed so heavy on my heart ever since... Um, I've been writing. And this for me is the hardest thing to talk about because I think it is so close to the bone for all of us. And I think it's a sermon series in itself. 
distraction. Now, when the Bible um, warns about distractions, distractions cover a whole range of different things, even good things, good things as well, uh, from our relationships, our jobs, our pursuit, our money, our possessions. A distraction is anything that preoccupies our attention on this world and diverts our minds and our hearts from what is most significant. And I'm going to say that again. A distraction is anything that preoccupies our mind on this world and diverts our mind and our hearts from what is most significant. Digital distractions, however, are particularly powerful, ranging from our smartphones to games that you might play with your mates. I don't know what it is now. Is it an Xbox? I don't know. I don't do gaming. Um, the Netflix series that you might be plowing through, all of these have a very enticing way of distracting us. An incredibly designed to be addictive technology that is limitless and almost infinite. You can never come to the end of your scrolling. Has anyone actually even tried? <laughs> Just keeps on going. Um, yes, sorry. Human beings have always been distracted by addictions to things. But Tony Reich, in his book, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, an amazing book, by the way, argues that we are actually addicted to distraction not distracted by addictions, we are addicted to distractions. We seek them out. We check our smartphones 81,500 times each year, or once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives. And it's no wonder that why this impulse exists, because our whole lives are on our phones. In a survey of 8,000 Christians um, about social media routines, more than half the respondents admitted to checking their smartphone within minutes of waking up. And when asked whether they were more likely to check emails and social media before or after having some time with God on a typical morning, 73% said before. And I'm not judging because I'm no stranger to that instinctive morning phone grab. But what is that saying about how we are preparing our hearts for the day? Before I've even murmured a prayer or even thought about God, I'm bombarded with images and news or messages that my heart is not in a good place to see. I've been distracted from the presence of God and his voice that is going to set me up right for the day. Instead, we see a text that needs replying to, then we remember it's Thursday and, oh, I haven't done that. And then we've had a scroll and then, bam, we are running late and we definitely now don't have any time to give to God. Why do we do this? I want to shake myself sometimes because I'm like, why do we do this? Uh, well, Tony Reink gives us three reasons why digital distractions are so, um, they lure us in, they're so enticing. He says, first, we use digital distractions to keep work away. Uh, we, you use it as an escape to write that essay or that work deadline or that tough conversation or the laundry pile. Secondly, we use distractions to keep people away. God has called us to love our neighbours, and yet we turn to our phones, don't we, to withdraw from our neighbours and let everyone else know that we'd rather be somewhere else. And finally, and this is the point that I want to major on, we use digital distractions to keep thoughts of eternity away. 
We as humans have an appetite for distraction because if we are honest with ourselves, we as a human race do not like silence or solitude. You may think you do, but what do you do when you get that moment alone that you've been wanting all morning or that break from studying or that break from the kids for two minutes? You go onto Facebook and Instagram or you reply to someone on WhatsApp. You connect or you go on Netflix or the Xbox, you feel that silence and that space. You don't like silence and solitude. We don't. And we don't like it because it feels serious and it can cause us to think about our lives um, or, or it causes us to address things with God that we'd rather not address. Time with God feels heavy and life is heavy enough. So let's just turn to something that doesn't demand anything of us social media. And yet it does. It demands our attention, endless amounts of it, and it can distract us from moments and spaces and golden nuggets of time with our creator. Moments of time that truly sustain us, transform us, and focus us on what he wants us to be doing. We believe Christ is going to return. And to use a football analogy, we've exceeded full time. And the match is now into extra time. And the clock keeps ticking for some unknown amount of time soon to finally expire. And then he will return. And if there is anything more likely to keep these distractions in check, it's that reminder that Christ's return is so imminent. And there is no time to be wasting on mindless things that steal our heart, our time and our attention away from God. As in every age, God calls calls his children to stop, to study what captures their attention in this world, weigh up the consequences, and then fight for undistracted hearts before him. So heart check. How much time are we spending on social media? Heart check. Are we spending uninterrupted time with God before anything else in our day? And heart check, are we having times of true silence and solitude with God? So to sum up, how do we do social media differently? Well, we do it, we use it, we like it, we tweet, we share, we post, we unfollow, we snap, we do anything. Whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God so that people can see a difference and ask about the God that we serve and we can share him. And we can use social media for the good of others around us, to love them and to encourage them. We have to be careful and do regular heart checks about our usage and the effect social media is having on us, our perceptions and our distractions. But in itself, it is something that was made with brains and intelligence that only God gave so let us pray now that God would, let, God would speak to us about our use of social media and that he would give us the godly wisdom and discernment to use it properly for the glory of him and for others.